Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, I know the calendar still says winter uh, here in February, but goodness, we've had some great weather. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been it's been it, in the seventies, and I think it's going to be in the eighties this week, right? Yes, it is. It is. Uh, we're recording this on on Wednesday, mm-hmm. so I think it's supposed to be eighty one, close to record highs. That's just <clears> incredible. <throat> I know. I think uh, the groundhog uh, Punxsutawney Phil. Yeah. Did you say six more weeks of winter? Something like that. Yeah, I don't I know. I think you missed it. Yeah, I think you might have missed it. Yeah, that's kind of what forecasts are, right? You that's know, right. Yeah, fifty percent chance of being right and that's being right. wrong. So yeah, it's just a guess. That's a good time of the year, though. I I, um, I do enjoy this. Uh, you know, for me as a sports fan, we've got March Madness coming up with basketball yep. and and the Masters in a couple of weeks. And um, looking out the window here, and there's flowers on the. Buds on the trees and and uh, daylight, daylight savings time is yes. coming up. Yeah, that, three weeks away. It's going to yeah. gain an hour in the night. Which ah, is I like just that. Just so nice. Good, good time of the year. So um, we're glad that you joined us today. We've got a good show lined up. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about Social Security, and um, you know, if you're in the middle of Social Security, then uh, you know you, you're you're kind of locked into your payments at this point. But if you're if you're looking at doing um, some planning in that area uh, or your upcoming in the next couple of years, uh, this will be a really good topic. It talks about Social Security and the taxation. And even if you are taking Social Security, there are some things sometimes that you can impact um, the the taxability of Social Security. So there's some specific rules associated with that. And then we're going to go into more detail on the Secure Act 2.0. That's the recent um, legislation that came out. Yeah, this is a good article from Ramsey. And it's just, again, highlighting 10 of the um, just uh, things that we think clients should know about the Secure Act 2.0. There's a lot. I think there's over 100 different items that got amended or yep. maybe more than that. But it's, um, yeah, this, these are some of the more important that applies to most of the people that will be listening to this podcast. So that, that'll be a good article as well. Yeah, and I will say that, um, gosh, 100, that's a lot. There's a lot of detail in there. Just and and th- these kind of things, uh, you know, we we keep on our radar. <laughs> so as we're meeting with clients and doing planning and so forth, these are things that in our industry we have to make sure we understand. So stick with us on that. That's going to be uh, a good conversation. And uh, by the way, I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey certified coach. And um, gosh, I have over 30 years now. It's Time flies. Nineteen ninety-two is when I started. So yeah, thirty years planning in both corporations and individuals. And um, yeah, I've been with Richard Young Associates coming up on sixteen years. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Where was I sixteen years ago? Uh, You're still in grade school, I think. (laughs) Right. Ten years old. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. My name is Matthew Travis. I'm uh, the son of John, and I've been working at the firm for about five years now, and have learned a lot under his his tutelage and. (laughs) I'm um, still learning a lot, but it's been great. And yeah, we're advisors here at the firm. Yeah, and we're excited to have you uh, listening to us today. We're up every single Friday morning. You can go to our website, MoneyMD, um, and, or iTunes, and, and download it uh, so you can listen at your leisure. We do have all the past episodes, uh, and it is kind of fun to go back sometimes. I actually like to go back during the pandemic and listen to our conversations because that was a really strange time in our world, um, something that really affected the entire world. But listening to some of the historical shows can put things in perspective a little bit. Uh, also on our website, moneymd.net, we have some good tools. We actually went out there, Matthew, one of our clients was asking us for that financial inventory 
sheet to yep. document their their financial assets and and some other things, and so you can get that out on the uh, the website. So so go check that out, and um, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week, and I'm going to take care of that one. And <clears throat> so this is kind of a dual, a um, little bit of a prescription, but also a financial fact. And so Social Security um, benefits are based on your 35 highest year uh, earnings years. So th- top 35. And so you want to make sure that they are they are calculating that number correctly. And hmm. I know you and I have experienced that. One of the prescriptions we've done in the past is, is to go to ssa.gov and look at your earnings history. Hmm. And we did that um, uh, last year, and we both, for some reason, had zeros on 2020. We had no earnings on 2020. So yeah. You know, you want to make sure that you're you're looking at ssa.gov, checking that out, understanding it. It also gives you really good information on your benefits at different age levels. That's right. Yeah, that's good. And so just a question for you. If you have a year that's not reported or that's zero, like what, what do you do with that? Like what's practically, what do you... Yeah, they, they actually, um, <clears throat> there's a button that you can push. Uh, you would think they would have that information because I filed taxes and sure. you would think they'd go knock on the IRS's door and say, hey, what do they turn in for taxable income? But I had to, to send my, my W-2 okay. yeah. to them, just upload it. Um, okay. And it was pretty efficient process. I thought it could have been a little bit more efficient, but I didn't have to get on the phone, yeah. which was nice. Um, just kind of did it electronically and uploaded that W-2 and checked back a couple of months later and had it been updated. Good. So. Yeah, that's good. It's a mess, but um, it is. It's important to check on. It is. I mean, top thirty-five. So you don't want to. You know, you're you're paying those Social Security taxes in there, and you want to make sure that your income is represented properly because that Correct. does impact uh, the benefit. Yeah, that's right. And just one one quick story on that. We had a client recently, and I think it was back in the, the late eighties or early nineties. They had six years of unreported income when they looked recently. Yeah, and they asked me. They're like, what? what do we do? And I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, They didn't print. I mean, did they, they didn't have online W2s back then. So I'm not yeah. sure how you would go and find that from the employer. And anyways, yeah. that is what we're trying to avoid by checking it yeah. every so often. And, and, you know, I mean, we, we just did a prescription of the week um, last week about shredding your tax documents, <laughs> right? So my first year of filing taxes on my own was 1992. And I just went through, Tammy and I went through, and um, we're not through it yet, but we're. I have till the end of the first quarter is what I committed on the on the video. But you know, I, there are going to be times that you're going to like be like, I wish I would have had that from 1992, but probably not. I yeah. mean, in this case, that's a very unusual sure. situation. So, sure. all righty, well, we're going to switch gears here and talk about Social Security, and um, you know, this comes from Charles Schwab, and the question is, is it taxable? And then, how do you minimize the taxes? associated with it. So, you know, a lot of retirees, um, you know, Social Security benefits, they're a, a big piece of retirement income. <clears throat> and many Americans are surprised to learn that some of that income uh, can be taxed. And, uh, you know, if you're receiving Social Security benefits or plan to start collecting them soon, then you want to make sure you understand there are some things that you can do out there to reduce um, your, your taxable Social Security income. And so we're going to go through a couple of ideas here. Yeah, and just to start off, some ground level info: When Social Security benefits are taxed, when are they taxed? Generally, Social Security benefits are taxed when your income is more than twenty five thousand dollars per year. That's for a single. It's different if you're married filing jointly, including income from your investments held in retirement accounts like traditional four hundred one ks and IRAs. If Social Security is is your only source of income 
then you likely won't pay any taxes on those payments. However, if you're receiving income from investments, a part-time job, or other sources, there is a good chance that you'll have to pay some taxes on that income from Social Security. Regardless of your total income, the maximum taxable portion of your Social Security benefits um, won't exceed 85%. That's not an 85% tax. It's saying that 85% of your benefits Yes. will be taxed, just to clarify that. Yeah, that's right. And <clears throat> if your benefits are you know, subject to taxation, you've got, there's basically three strategies um, to potentially reduce those tax implications. Um, you know, you can, you can um, do some conversions, you can leverage some non-taxable income, you can also delay the Social Security, and we'll go into more detail on each one of those. Um, but, um, you know, the first thing you have to look at is, is how Social Security taxes are actually uh, calculated, and there's some numbers we're going to throw out as well. Yeah, and so to calculate your taxable Social Security benefit, it's it's a it's a formula. So if you have questions on this, there there's online calculators, or you can just come ask us. But essentially, it's taking half of your Social Security benefit plus all of your other income, like AGI or uh, you know, excuse me, W two income, ten ninety nine income, mm-hmm. income from investments, um, you know, taxable income. So it's half of your social security plus all other taxable income. And that equals your provisional income. And then there are those brackets. If you go over that 25,000, if you're single, I think it's like 34,000 if you're married, then it starts getting into the social security benefits are taxable. And there are different ranges. Um, You can have zero taxes, you can have 50%, 85%. There's different ranges in there. Um, Yeah, that's like the, it's called provisional income when you're calculating how Social Security taxes are calculated. Now, Social Security is taxed at a lower rate than other income from other sources, such as, again, the traditional IRA accounts. Uh, so you may want to consider um, some of these follow- some of these strategies to help potentially reduce your income from those accounts uh, so that a greater percentage of your income is derived from Social Security because it is indeed taxed less. Yeah, so one of the strategies, and, and we talk about this a lot, is conversions um, uh, from an IRA, converting an IRA to a Roth IRA, or yeah, Roth IRA. And so, um, you know, withdrawals on Roth IRAs um, and Roth 401ks, they're not subject to ta- taxation because the taxes were already taken out when the contributions were made. So, you know, if your money is is traditional IRA or 401k, you've already received a tax advantage in the form of an income tax deduction when you put the money in the account. So when you pull them out of a traditional IRA, 100% of those withdrawals will be taxed as ordinary income. Um, But income from a Roth account, when you pull that out, that does not count towards the combined income and that will affect the Social Security benefits. So it's excluded. You still feel it like it's income, but it doesn't show up on your tax return. Um, but you got to remember, you know, the, the Roth account, you have to have it open for five years <clears throat> and you have to be uh, over 59 and a half before you can withdraw all of the money tax free. Um, you know, when you start looking at the earnings piece of it, those are where those um, two, two uh, rules impact. Mm-hmm. And you can open up a Roth at any time and you can contribute, um, continue to contribute to a Roth in retirement as long as you have earned income, um, you know, from from, you know, the W-2 source. Um, so, you know, income from investments from Social Security don't qualify as as earned income mm. for contributing to an IRA account. Yeah, that's important. We see that a lot. We see a lot of questions on that. One thing to be aware of is that converting from a tax-deferred retirement account to a Roth account, it does mean you'll pay income taxes on that money, which which can be substantial, 
But after that first tax bill, your distributions will be tax-free, like you mentioned, and won't uh, will not count towards your income calculation. Also, a provision in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act declared that a Roth conversion cannot be recharacterized. This is kind of a finer point detail, but yeah. once you convert to a Roth, you can't unconvert. So it, it, it's once and done, you know, you can't yeah. go back. So obviously that doesn't apply to most people, but just to keep that in mind. Yeah, doing Roth conversions is a great way um, to settle up with the IRS. If you can do it in the 12% tax bracket in, uh, in 2023, that's about that's less than about $120,000 of income. So if you're out there working and you're making 80 or 90 or 100, you have some room to do some Roth conversions. That's going to help potentially keep Social Security not taxable when you start taking it. Again, that's for married filing jointly. <laughs> yes. Yep, but yep. 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 Very good. So the second um, strategy here is consider shifting uh, income investments. And you know some investments generate taxable income. Um, some are, are non-taxable. So the interest income from bonds is subject to tax. And dividends and interest from savings accounts uh, and other investments also count as taxable income. So um, there's uh, interest income from municipal bonds, which ex- is exempt from federal and state income taxes, with a few exceptions. And capital gains that are distributed can be taxable as well. So you know, income received from various sources, you've got to kind of take into account that that's going to impact potentially, um, you know, the taxability of Social Security. So. You know, we do see people with um, sizable balances of cash and, you know, interest rates now are, you know, three, four percent. That can add up to significant income, which starts impacting whether Social Security is taxable or not. Yeah. And one interesting thing on that um, that we have been recommending to clients in most cases is if they have, you know, very large pre-tax 401ks or IRAs that they're moving over and they have smaller Roth or after-tax brokerage accounts, then we can generally say, hey, you can be more aggressive in the after-tax or no-tax Roth accounts than you are in your pre-tax accounts because we want that after-tax money to grow faster. So, you know, it's not across the board, but generally we try to be more aggressive in those accounts because again, you're growing that after-tax money faster than the pre-tax money where you're going to have to pay taxes on it. So, you know, again, that's that's another way to um, consider you know, to to reduce your income in the future for Social Security is to be more aggressive in those after-tax accounts. Yep. So the the third strategy here is um, actually delaying the Social Security benefits. So if you have uh, outside income and other investments, um, consider, you know, being more aggressive and drawing down some of those assets. Um, That can sometimes work. You delay Social Security. um, You'll get a bump of about 8% per year if you wait until age 70. We don't see a lot of people wait till 70. We do see a lot of folks waiting till full retirement age. It, it depends on the, the circumstance of the individual or the, you know, the couple as well. So, you know, if you have drawn down the assets, <clears throat> you know, um, you have fewer assets left to tax, which can potentially lower the amount of Social Security benefits subject to taxation. So, you know, there's a Social Security seems like an easy decision. Um, but you know, as you and I talk about, there's like 1,700 pages in Social Security. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, every answer is different for for each couple. It depends on a, a lot of different factors, and it's just kind of sitting down and figuring out what's best for that individual. And I think the main takeaway is just to think about this and to not let uh, time pass you, or for you to think, "Hey, it doesn't matter. It's all the same." But for you to give it some thought and for you to plan some, or to ask someone who has knowledge about this of, hey, when when is a good time to claim Social Security? How do we 
take that efficiently with our situation. It's it's just good to think about. Yep. So we got the question of the week. All right. Uh, this is a tough question, and I'll ask it for you so I don't have to answer it. It is this. My child has an Utma account and is about to turn 21. What can we do with the account? So an Utma account is for minors. It's a brokerage account for minors. Hey, they're about to not be a minor. What what happens with that account? Yeah, also known as a custodial account, right? It's open in the child's name, and then there's a custodian associated with it. Typically, it's the parents, but sometimes we see the grandparents on there. Um, you know, when you when you put it in the custodial account in the child's name, it is considered a gift, and it is then the kid is the child's, right? And so, using that money before age twenty one should be used for the child. I mean, that's th- those are the rules. Um, <clears throat> you know, it can be used for anything for the child, whether it be clothing or housing. Um, it's pretty broad. You can use it for cars and so forth, but you would have a hard time justifying pulling that out and um, going to buy a car for yourself, mm. you know? So you've got to, you got to be careful. Um, you know, the, the only time quote you'd get in trouble is if you were audited. Now we would certainly recommend you work with your CPA on this, um, but we do have conversations. We've had folks, um, I've got a meeting uh, tomorrow with, with a client coming in and their, their grandchild is actually turning 21 pretty soon. So it's like, all right, what do we do with this money? Yeah. So we're going to typically what we do is we open up accounts in the child's name and they're, they're, they're young adults at that point, they're 21 and we can do a brokerage account um, in their name and there's no custodian on there. But you know, the big takeaway is, is in general, the money has to be used for the child. If you pull it out, most of the time we see these custodial accounts reverting or going to the young adult in their name, gives them an opportunity to kind of start with some money in an account. Um, and it gives us an opportunity to educate as well and sit down and talk with them. Uh, if they've been working, they can put some in a Roth IRA as well. So custodial accounts are good accounts. There's some some things you have to watch out for um, when they're 21. It becomes the child. And we do have conversations sometimes folks don't feel comfortable with giving a large amount of money to a 21-year-old, but that's the law. I mean, it has to go into their name. Yeah, and I think thinking about that on the front end, if you should set up a, a custodial account like an UPMA account, or if you should just open up a brokerage account mm-hmm. in your name yep, um, and you know have the beneficiary be your child, and you can use that however you like. Yes. So that might be another option for that. But yeah, good question. Yep, and we're going to switch gears here and, and talk about the SECURE 2.0 Act. And Matthew, this doesn't get a, a lot of coverage in the media. We certainly look at it. This is from from Dave Ramsey. But there's a lot of provisions um, that we study and we try to incorporate into our conversation. So we're not not saying you have to, to memorize all of these, but uh, whether you're working with us or someone else out there or doing it yourself, knowing that some of these changes are, are coming down the road are important. Yeah, that's right. So back in 2019, Washington tried to encourage more Americans to save for retirement by passing the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement, the SECURE Act. That's it. Okay. Yep. I knew it stood for something. Yep. Uh, fast forward a few years and Congress is, st- is, is trying to go even further with the follow-up bill, appropriately known as the SECURE Act uh, 2.0 of 2022. Yeah. And this was passed in the final days of, of 2022 as a massive, as a part of a massive um, spending bill. And the new and improved legislation, it lays out a new set of retirement rules. Um, it's supposed to be designed for easier, you know, savings for retirement and access to your money. And there's some good things in here. I, I like a couple of these items. 
Um, you know, we won't know, um, you know, the, the true impact for years on some of these. There's some provisions in this bill that might help with America's retirement savings crisis. It may encourage Americans to save more in their future. Um, but there's also some changes that could open the door for some bad decisions. So we're going to walk through each one. The first one, I think, is a good one. I mean, I feel comfortable with this one, but it's the RMD age right now is is 72. It used to be 70 and a half mm-hmm. for a long time, um, but they're going to raise that to age 73. Yeah, and, and so this, um, this new law, it allows tax-deferred retirement accounts like traditional 401ks um, and traditional IRAs and 403Bs um, to you, you have to start taking money out at a specified age. And like you said, that is increased to age 73. This is good news um, because it lets your money keep growing in your tax-deferred account uh, if you don't need to take money from it, that is. If you turn 72 before January 1st of 2023, you need to continue taking out distributions. Um, and that's just basically saying it's for those who are not yet 72, that 73 is a new age. Looking a little further... That RMD age is, is going to continue to increase up to age 75 in 2033. So what you need to know is it went from 72 to 73. Yeah, that's right. And we're, we're, uh, we're feeling that now. So we're starting to, to plan for f- some, some folks and, and trying to figure out that. So I think pushing that out is good. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't, doesn't, and the life expectancy is getting longer. So it, it, is, it's, it seems reasonable. Yeah, the second one's kind of a minor one, but required minimum distributions um, will no longer be required on Roth 401ks and Roth 403bs. So right now, you know, if you have a Roth IRA, um, you don't have to take a required minimum distribution out of that account uh, annually like you do with a um, with an IRA. So it just kind of aligns the Roth IRA with Roth 401k. So it doesn't impact a lot of people. Kind of a minor deal. Most people take their Roth 401ks and put them into a Roth IRA anyway. And this third one is interesting. I know you know the answer to this, but the typical penalty for things that we interact with is 10%, right? If you pull money out early, it's a 10% penalty. The penalty for RMDs, if you miss an RMD, used to be... 50%. 50%. Yeah, that's a big number. That's a massive number. Yeah. And they're basically saying, hey, we really want our taxes. <laughs> like, right. Make yeah. sure you pull your money out so we can get our taxes. And so they've dropped that 50% down to 25%, still very large, um, but they have dropped it. And that penalty actually falls to 10% if you withdraw the RMD that you should have withdrawn in an appropriate amount of time. There's not a lot of specifications on that, but yeah. the the big takeaway is it's not a 50% penalty. But we want to make sure we, we take the RMD if we're required to. Yeah. So make sure you understand those rules. Um, you know, if you're doing it yourself, that's really important. Yeah. I'll say that we, we manage RMD process for our clients. That's something we spend a lot of time on and the rules are always changing too. That's the hard part that the goalpost keeps moving. We we have someone in our office to brag on her a little bit. We have a great client service staff. We don't talk about them enough, but they do so much for our clients that they, I mean, honestly it is, it's, it's a tremendous amount, but Lindsay in our office, she is in charge of RMDs and she does an excellent job uh, with this. So she is she's the point person that we actually look to because there are so many changes in these rules. So yep. kudos to our client service staff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number four here is higher catch-up contributions are on the way. And so a lot of Americans you know, look up one day and they realize they, they haven't saved enough. So catch-up contributions help folks over the age of 50 save a little bit more each year. So for 2023... The catch-up amount is um, about $7,500 in a 401k, <clears throat> and starting in 2025, 
investors between the ages of 60 and 63 can make a catch-up contribution of up to 10000 Just those four years. Yeah, just those four That's years. Strange. Man, I tell you, they're making it difficult. <laughs> and if you make more than 145000 each year, the law says you won't be able to, to save as much, but... You know, I mean, goodness, he's yeah, and we'll we'll. Well, I mean, that's that's next year. I think, excuse me, twenty twenty five. So, I mean, we have some years for that to understand we that do. better. Yeah, and, but that's just to keep on your radar yep. as well. This fifth one um, is interesting. It'll be easier to access retirement funds for emergencies starting uh, next year, twenty twenty four. You can withdraw up to a thousand dollars from a retirement account for personal <laughs> or family emergencies. Um, but you would have to replace those funds in the next three years before you can make another similar withdrawal. We don't recommend this as a plan. Um, we would recommend you have an emergency fund on the outside of your retirement account um, so that you are able to pay for emergencies as they come up with cash and not have to go to your employer for that. But this is something that will be available. You can yeah. access some of the money um, from your account. You'll still um, pay taxes on it. You just won't have the penalty. Correct. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. Number six here is that employers must automatically enroll you in the workplace retirement plan. Um, you know, that starts in 2025. They're going to have a minimum contribution rate of about 3%. And uh, you can obviously opt out of that, but they're going <coughs> to opt you in automatically. I think it's a good step. I like that one. Uh, helps people get started. Um, you know, if you can get used to that 3% and increase it by a percent a year, uh, you can get to the point where you kind of don't feel it as much and it's going to add up to significant you know, money. Yeah, that's right. The seventh one is employers can match your student loan payments with retirement contributions. Starting next year, your company can match student loan payments with retirement contributions. The rule is really interesting. It gives workers uh, that have a lot of student loan debt um, an ability to go to their employer and ask, hey, are you able to match or basically what you would put into my 401k or 403b, are you able to put that towards my student loans? Because the government is now saying that employers are able to do that. It's just asking if if it's in their process and procedures. But let's say you make 100000 and you have a 3% match, then you can say, hey, can you send that 3000 directly to my student loan to pay it off? Yeah. Which is a great provision to pay off student loans if, if you're in that Debt paying off mode. Sure. Yeah. Every little bit helps. And that that's a good that's a good good change. Another one here, number eight, is you can roll over unused 529 plans to a Roth IRA for the for the beneficiary. So there's some rules in there associated with it. But if if um, Johnny or Susie doesn't uh, use all the money and, and gets a full ride or goes to a less expensive school, um, that money can then go into a Roth IRA for him. So it just mm. doesn't sit there. You can keep it in there and go to another family member, but that's a neat, neat provision. Yeah, and uh, ninth is that Roth options will be available for Simple and SEP. Um, starting this year, which we don't know if the custodians are ready for this, but yeah. starting this year, uh, you can have a Roth Simple, a Roth SEP, um, yeah. which is really interesting, but you basically, it's like a Roth IRA, but it's for small uh, companies, small employers. So that's something that uh, is new as well. Yeah, and number 10 here, there's a new emergency savings account option uh, alongside retirement accounts. And this starts in 2024. Retirement plan sponsors can enroll employees to set aside up to $2,500 annually in a separate savings fund um, alongside their retirement fund. So think of, a, think of this as an emergency savings account, um, one that, you know, kind of attaches to uh, to the retirement plan. It kind of, it's the, it's, it's the step before getting into the retirement plan, which, as we just mentioned, there's $1,000 that you can get to 
most people when they're pulling money out of retirement plans are pulling five and ten and twenty five so, more than that. Yeah, yeah. So you got to build up your emergency uh, savings, and this is a good step to do that. So you know, there's a lot of different provisions in here, and as you said, some of them we have a couple years to to digest them, and and just talking about some of these is important. Some of them are implemented in 2023. Some of them in uh, the next, you know, three years. But um, this is stuff that we look at. We we see this come across our desk and are trying to keep on top of it as they make changes and, and uh, you know, incorporate that into our planning piece of it. So good uh, good discussion of Secure Act 2.0. We now know what it means. Mm-hmm. Stands right. for. <clears throat> and we're going to close out here with the uh, prescription of the week. Yeah, and this is a good one. Um, so if you're having a hard time taming your spending, you could try this. Try an, a no-spending month or what? a no-spending quarter. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you struggle to go out to eat and you just say, I just can't go out to eat less than three times a week. If I try to do two times a week, I just want to go more. Then say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go out to eat zero times a week. And really just say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to do that at all uh, with the hopes that you can cut a bad spending habit. So yeah. this can be very powerful. I know people have done this and it can really free up a lot of income if you struggle with overspending in a specific budget category. Yeah, I'll, you know, going through the FPU class um, as many times as I have and facilitating those. One of the things we recommend right on the get-go, it's, it's a nine-week course, is for people to stop all discretionary spending and and kind of take an inventory of what their real cost are from food and electricity and property taxes and gas and so forth. And if you can stop that for a couple of months, you can start to build up some cash to start, you know, addressing the emergency fund need, you know, baby step one, baby step three, paying off debt and baby step two. Um, So I I like that a lot is just kind of taking a pause in spending and be very conscious about it because it can really help you, you know, take the Mm. next step of getting to some of those steps. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so that's a good prescription of the week. And um, this has been this week's edition to uh, of MoneyMD. Tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Also, check out our website, MoneyMD.net. Send us your questions. Give us a call here at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.